Hey, this is Dave Ryder from New Spring Church here in beautiful Perth, Western Australia. Really praying that this message is going to help you. If you'd like some more information about our story, just head to newspring.org.au. Father, we do come before you and as we sit in your presence, we ask that you would do what only you can do. For places that need healing, we ask for healing. For issues of the heart, would you come and would you shape us? As we open up scripture, would you enlighten us? And would you allow us to see your beautiful face tonight? Not a face that frowns, but a smile. For we worship and we serve a God who sings over us, who rejoices over us, who takes delight in us. May we be aware of your delight this night we pray. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Cool. Awesome. How are you doing tonight? How about we give our worship team just a hand? Let's appreciate them. They've literally been on their feet all day, except for Mitchell and Jules, because I got Jules a stool. <laughs> we had Peter Christensen here this morning, so that meant that they were on their feet for the entire service. And I did warn them, but, you know... They just don't listen to me. Are you guys ready to um, work a bit of scripture today? A couple of you guys are. Um, If you are taking notes, which I hope that you are, we are going to be investigating and talking about a topic which is called In the Middle. Everyone say, In the Middle. Have you ever been in the middle of something? Right? Not at the beginning of it, not the end of it, but smack bang in the middle of it. And it's not pleasant. You ever been in the middle of something that's not pleasant? Who likes those moments? They're great moments. Um, I want to talk to you about being in the middle. And um, this message is actually going to be kind of the last message before we launch into Ephesians next week. And um, over the last couple of months, I think that there's been, well, I believe there's been a couple of messages that God's been wanting to shape us as a church with. And um, unfortunately for the uh, morning service, they missed out on one of them, which is tables along the way. Um, and everyone else has kind of missed out on this message, so uh, maybe they'll get onto the podcast. But we've, um, we've been going through a couple of significant messages, I, I, I really do believe. Um, when we started, when we came back after the isolation and all that, God was speaking to us about brand new openings. You remember that? Brand new openings, a new season with new eyes, new ears. Eyes are open, ears are open. And um, then we um, were learning about what it meant to be made in the image of God when kings and queens march. Anyone like that? Anyone like marching? You can have a bit of enthusiasm in church, you know, that's actually okay. What about uncomfortable announcements? Anyone remember that? Okay, 
and then there were tables along the way and today I want to talk about in the middle and what my hope is, um, actually a lot of times what my hope is when we do actually teach is to actually be able to put all of these things together that we learn along the way. I am kind of assuming that in our Christian walk that we've learned a lot of theological truths, a lot of Christian truths and what we need to do is actually bring them all together to see how they actually work and how they function because if we can actually bring them all together we can actually start walking in that. So that's what we're going to do today in the middle. And what I'm trying to do today, what I'm hoping to do today, and, to, and again, this is not a complicated message. What I'm wanting to do today is that I want us to actually be encouraged when we actually come into those places where we naturally feel like we want to give up. Has anyone ever been in that place where you actually want to give up? Well, you actually feel like it is so dark around me right now. I actually don't think there's actually an avenue out of this. I want us to actually think in those times and those places have encouragement to think, you know what, it's actually those places in the middle where we actually see where God um, primarily works. It's almost like his MO seems to happen right in the middle. And I don't think we have anything. No, you're just going to have to open up your Bibles today, a novel idea in church but we're going to be in first corinthians chapter 15 how about you um, crack your bible open to that if your bible is on a phone it's okay you can actually use your phone in church and um, read it from there um, let me know when you get there first corinthians chapter 15 verses 1 to 8 is anyone there is anyone actually going to read the bible all right this is paul speaking to the church in corinth let me now remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news I preached to you before. You welcomed it then, you welcomed it then, and you still stand firm in it. It is the good news that saves you if you continue to believe the message I told you. Unless, of course, you believe something that was never true in the first place. I pass on to you what was most important and what has also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. He was seen by Peter and then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. Last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. Pretty familiar passage of scripture, especially when we um, have communion. How many times we had communion and we go through that? I've been thinking about um, church life and particularly my own life. And I think that for most of us um, who follow Jesus, there's actually a lot of things that we take for granted and we almost know off by heart. There's a lot of phrases, there's a lot of songs, there's a lot of psalms, there's a lot of scriptures, there's a lot of icons that um, we know probably, um, it, it just seems like, just absolutely normal to us. But I wonder how many of those things and how many of those places we've actually investigated and looked rigorously enough so that those icons, so those scriptures, so those hymns, so those phrases, so those things that we articulate so well that we remember all the time that they have literally shaped us to our core. How many times? You might be wearing a cross. Anyone wearing a cross? You might be wearing a cross as jewellery or you might have a tattoo. Anyone wearing a cross as a tattoo? Because we do that these days, you know. There we go. A's on you. You're wearing a, you're wearing a cross, girl. There you go. <laughs> on your skin. No one's going to take that away from you. <laughs> Maybe there's a favorite psalm that you actually return to time and time and time again. 
You know, during, during the church calendar, we have Easter, and I'm sure most of us eat hot cross buns. Anyone eat hot cross buns in December when they first came out last year? You know what? We ate hot cross buns in December because there is a cross on it, praise the Lord. You know what I'm saying? We did it. Or maybe there's a hymn, there's a song or something, but we have all of these regular things in our life and in our rituals and all the time, and we know it off by heart. We see it all the time. You, you know, we'll just roll up A's and sleeve, and you'll see it over there. It's right over there across. But how many times do we look at those things and contemplate those things and really ponder upon those things to the point where they literally shake us to the core? In this particular church, there's, um, there's a fair few um, songs that we sing, obviously. Um, the Colour Munda crew, you're getting to know some of these songs that we sing. Modern day hymns, by the way. I don't know if you realise, like sometimes I have people say, oh, we need to sing those old hymns, such great theology. My goodness, the theology in the hymns that we sing, are you serious? Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. There's one song which... Um, I've been really thinking about all this week and I actually really, um, really, really, really love. And there are a lot of peripheral things that I love about this song because I, I like certain things. And, um, you know, I love the melody. I love the song progression. I love the pace. I love the different sounds that, that, that the musicians have actually found and actually developed to actually incorporate and actually bring it together. I think that's all fantastic. And, but they all lie at the peripheral. What I love most about this song that we sing quite regularly here and hopefully start singing in Kalamunda is a song that actually has three words that literally shake me to the core. And I'm praying by the grace of God they will shake us to the core tonight and as we go on from this week. And the three words, they are just three words and they all just have one syllable. And the three words are simply this, Then he rose. The grave has lost its hold. Arise, the stone is gone. How many, how many Christians have actually forgotten to arise? You're still sitting down. Isn't that true? The grave has lost its hold. Arise, the stone is God. Our God reigns forevermore. All praise to him belongs. Lift high his name alone. Jesus came, paid it all, then he rose. Wow. Wow, then he rose. Those three words, those three words are the thread that hold our faith together. They are the thread that holds our scripture, our songs. And you know what? They are the, they are the three words that literally hold our calendar together. Then he rose. The crux of our faith, the crux of we who follow Jesus Christ is the literal, physical, historical resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I want us to deeply, deeply think about that tonight and deeply, deeply ponder the implications of what it means than those words that we sing so, so often, then he rose. Then he rose. We're going to go through this passage in 1 Corinthians, so keep it open. We're just going to go through it. If you don't have a Bible, this will be on the podcast. That's all right. From verse 3, Paul says, I pass on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the Scriptures said. Verse 4, He was buried and, and He raised from the dead on the third day. Guess what? Just as the Scriptures said. Whose Scriptures? Well, actually, Israel's scriptures. Israel's scriptures. Israel's scriptures. The story of God, the story of his faithfulness to his covenant is told through Israel's scriptures. Listen to these words. There's this incident where Jesus, with his disciples' words, comes to him and his friend Lazarus, 
Lazarus is about to die. Remember that story? So what does Jesus do? Instead of like racing straight to Lazarus, he just hangs back in the village for a couple more days, right? But as he comes back, there's actually just this interesting conversation between Jesus and Martha in talking to the, about the death of um, her brother, Lazarus. And we read it in John chapter 11, verse 17 to 25. Just, 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 just think about and listen to the conversation that's happening here and also Martha's understanding of, of what is happening and what will happen. Verse 17 says this, When Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in the grave for four days. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem, and many of the people who had, who had come to console um, Mary, Mary and Martha in their loss. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd only been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said. He will rise when everyone else rises at the last day. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Isn't it interesting that Mary's having this conversation with Jesus. Jesus has missed the death of Lazarus by a couple of days because he hung back. You know what? And he actually says to his disciples, it's actually for, for God's glory. And he comes back, has this conversation with Martha, talking about like Lazarus, he's going to raise again. And Martha immediately goes to, yeah, I understand that. Because in the last day, everyone's going to rise. Where did Martha learn that? From Israel's scriptures. This was something that was known because of Israel's scriptures. Something that is so fundamental to us when we talk about the resurrection, when we use those words, then he rose. This was very, very common. They were anticipating that something was going to happen on that very last day. I know, I understand my brother is going to rise again. In fact, I'm going to rise again as well. Israel's scriptures promised that at the end of the age, Israel were going to be vindicated. They were going to be vindicated, you know. They, they are like the most oppressed nation that's ever existed, you know. They've always got empire after empire just smashing and putting them under, the, under their pin. But, but, but their scriptures, God has actually revealed that in their scriptures, he said to them that you will be vindicated. Israel's scripture said that the old age would end and a new age would begin with sin and exile would finally be over and there would be a reversal of the corrupt power and authorities that are currently overlording you. Indeed, there's going to be a reversal of death itself and creation is going to be made brand new and there's even going to be an avenue for the Gentiles. This is what Israel's scriptures had told them, that there is going to be a resurrection on the last day and on that last day you will be vindicated and the way that everyone's going to know you're vindicated is because of the literal bodily resurrection of everyone that's how they're going to know so things are going to turn that's going to be the turning point they're waiting for this they're anticipating this Israel will be vindicated most of Israel knew this and most of Israel accepted this except for a couple of groups actually I mean the, the Sadducees who were running around and the Sadducees were doing pretty well they were pretty affluent they were pretty wealthy but they didn't really like the idea of a resurrection because you need to understand it if there's going to be a bodily resurrection that means there's going to be an overthrow of the powers and the authorities that have enabled them to live this affluent prosperous life so you can understand that if you're living the higher life you may not necessarily want to like you know what I'm saying <laughs> I wonder if there's a um a, a, a upturning of the powers and all the things that we see in the world today that the Lord wants to bring about. Anyway, just a moment. So the resurrection is a moment, a turning point for Israel's story with their God. We're not talking about resuscitation. 
Lazarus was raised from the dead, but that was resuscitation because he died again. We're talking about a literal bodily resurrection. Resurrection. Are you following me so far? All right. So Paul, and he's, he's speaking to the church in Corinth as he's outlaying this. He is reminding the church of what is most important to the church. And as he talks about how, how Jesus died for our sins according to the Scriptures, as he was raised again according to the Scriptures, he adds in this, the, 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 these little facts of evidence, which seem to be really, really important. In verse 5 he says, He was seen by Peter and then by the twelve. I mean, that's great, eh? You're just seen by all the 12 disciples, but you have to think, aha, uh -huh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Paul, we we're talking about something which no one anticipated. We we're talking about Jesus was dead for three days, right? And he's risen from the dead, literally risen from the dead. You know, those 12, they could have, they could have just conspired. It's true, isn't it? You know, that would make sense. That would be the very first thing I'd say. I'd say, Peter, hold up. You mean like you 12? Well, well what's to say that you 12 have not concocted this story, Right? We're not dumb, Peter. But then after that, he goes on to say, and after that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers. 500 is a big number, isn't it? We can't even fit 500 people in this building, in this auditorium. You know, I think we've squeezed at the most about 350, and that was a real squeeze. But 500, 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. This is what he's actually saying. There's been over 500 who have seen Jesus literally resurrected, raised from the dead. And you know what? Most of them are still alive. So if you doubt me, go and have a chat with Fred because he will actually say, yeah, I saw Jesus with my own eyes. You need to remember that this is Holy Scripture, but this is a letter that is written to actual real people. Right? And you think, okay. And then he says he was seen by his brother James. Brother James. And you think, oh, that doesn't mean anything. Wait a minute. Don't you remember the time when Jesus is there? He's, in, he's like, uh, like in the house and he's teaching and he's doing miracles and all that. And his family are actually on the outside, you know, because they literally said out of their mouth, this guy's gone mad. His family were very, very doubtful. They were not that obliging to Jesus' ministry. So Paul is actually saying even James, his brother, who doubted him as he was actually doing his ministry, even James saw him and later the apostles. And then he was seen by, um, by other people. And then in verse 8, Last of all, though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. So Paul sees the resurrected Jesus of Nazareth who died on a cross, there is no historian alive who will deny that. And the testimony and the witness is that he was resurrected from the dead. And it's Paul, this Pharisee of Pharisees, who expounds and brings clarity to the significance of this historical event upon which you and I are here today, and most of us here, I dare say, pin our faith, our hope, and you know what? We're actually literally pinning our eternity on this. Consider the accounts of Jesus after the resurrection. Jesus spends 40 days with his disciples, teaching them of the kingdom of God. 40 days is a significant amount of time, isn't it? Significant number as well. They touch him, you know. What about Thomas? He's invited to actually like, put his finger in like the hole. Like, he's literally, we're not talking about a ghost here. Like literally touching Jesus. Literally touching him. They ate with Jesus. Guess what? Hallucinations don't eat. Ghosts 
don't eat. And they're out there, you know, what they're doing, fishing again, and all of a sudden they see someone's on the shore and someone says, it's the Lord. As soon as someone says, it's the Lord, Peter again jumps in, swims there, and Jesus is actually uh, making some breakfast, like uh, frying up some fish, and they eat. Ghosts don't eat. Hallucinations don't eat. Visions don't eat. You can't touch visions. You can't touch ghosts. You can't go touch spirits. This is actually all this evidence that is actually part of, um, of our faith. And you know, people do not die violent deaths for lies that they know of, yet most of, our, uh, most of the apostles, they die martyrs' deaths and they die these really, really horrible deaths. Coming back to Paul, on the road to Damascus, Paul has this terrifying experience with Jesus, this terrifying encounter with Jesus that's recorded for us in the book of Acts. And the reason why it's terrifying for Paul is because he was very zealous for his faith. He honestly, hand on his heart, he believed he was doing the right thing, the righteous thing, by violently, violently going after those who would dare profess that Jesus is king. He believed it. And lo and behold, you can imagine the look on Paul's face when he's going on the road to Damascus. He gets knocked off a horse. He asks, who is it? And then the voice comes and actually says, it is Jesus. You would be freaked out, right? This is the guy I'm actually like attacking his people and like he's right there. That would be an absolutely terrifying moment. And on that road, on that road to Damascus, the Apostle Paul, having the full artillery of Israel's history and Israel's theology, he was shocked to see something that he summarizes so often in the New Testament, things that we just like read off just so, so blatantly, things that we sing about all the time, things that he summarizes in such simple words over and over and over again. He says that we believe that Jesus died and rose again. Then he rose. Paul is absolutely shocked to see a resurrected Jesus because he understood what this meant. He understands. He understands more fully than what we understand. I mean, it's very hard for us to understand what this actually means. He knew. He knew the scriptures. He knows the story. He's fully engrafted. He's fully enveloped in the story. And he knew that God had promised the resurrection at the end of all things. But here we are. On the road to Damascus, here we are right in front of his eyes. He has literal physical evidence of a resurrected Jesus. But wait a minute. The resurrection is supposed to happen at the end. But here we are and I can see him. He's resurrected from the dead. God had done something. And this has completely shocked Paul. And this is the absolute linchpin of our faith. God, he, he sees that God has done something so radical. He's done something so unexpected. Even though he spoke about this, he says he, he understands that God has done something that he promised to do for Israel at the end of history in the person of Jesus Christ right in the middle of history. This was something that's supposed to happen at the end, but God seems to say, nah, I'm actually going to do it in the middle. How is that going to mess with us? I hope it really messes with us. Israel's scriptures, Israel would be vindicated, resurrected, and consequently the nations would be blessed. But all of this is supposed to happen at the end. It's not supposed to happen in the middle. And what was promised to Israel had been fulfilled in Jesus. Well, what exactly does this say about Jesus? Well, it lets us know that 
Only the true king can do for Israel what Israel couldn't do for themselves. Only the true king embodies and represents Israel. Like how David represented Israel in fighting Goliath. You remember that story? That's just a shadow. Only the true king can represent all of Israel, just how David did. What does this say about Jesus? Well, it lets us know that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is the king. And he's not only the king of Israel, but he's also the rightful king of the entire world. And Jesus being crucified meant that the cross and the resurrection was that moment, the turning point upon which everything hangs. And this is what Paul had to come to terms with. And this is something that we have to come to terms with. Paul had to come to terms that the new age had begun while the old age was coming to an end. Jesus reveals to us a God who displays his resurrection power in the middle of things. In the middle of things. God works in the middle. That seems to be his MO. He works in the middle. Here's the problem. I don't like the middle. I like the end. I don't even like the middle when we're going down south on our holiday. You know how they've got the cameras and all that? Seriously, you're supposed to go 110. Who actually really keeps 110 kilometres? Oh, you all righteous people. Unbelievable. <laughs> Unbelievable. There's no one here you kind of sneak an extra five or ten or twenty kilometers. <laughs> we don't we don't like the middle. We're not actually shaped for the middle of things. We live in a world where we can get everything instant. I can get everything like yesterday. You know, I can actually go online and I can order stuff. I don't even need to wait anymore. I can get everything. We don't love the middle. We don't like the middle at all, especially if the middle hurts. We understand that the middle brings pain and it brings suffering and it brings lament. And we want to bypass the middle all the time. The problem is God works in the middle. It's what the cross tells us. This is what is happening, that Paul sees a resurrection Jesus Christ. He's resurrected from the dead. The resurrection is something that's supposed to happen at the end, yet God decides to do it right in the middle. At the same time, King Herod and you've got Pilate and you've got Caesar, they're sitting on the little thrones over there and the whole of the known world is saying, like, Caesar is king. And in the middle of the whole world saying Caesar is king, the rightful king is resurrected. He's doing stuff in the middle. And we need to understand something that if we want to truly see the resurrected power of Jesus Christ in operation of our life, we have to stop waiting for the end of a thing and actually be prepared to see God working in the middle of a thing. Now that preaches pretty good, except when you've got some things falling apart all around you. Falling apart all around you. I don't think I'm out of line sort of saying, or maybe I am, the elders will let me know later. I don't think I'm out of line that when we came in in January, it looked like some things were falling apart in Kalamunda, right? Look, it, that wasn't that long ago. By the grace of God, there seems to be some resurrection power in play right now, but that didn't happen at the end. That happened right in the middle. That happened right in the middle. How many times in your life you've been in such a mess, you've been in such an ordeal, your mind is absolutely going crazy, you're in the darkest place, you don't see any way forward, and you can look back and say, you know what, it was, it was actually in the middle of that that I saw the power of God. It's actually in the middle of that because that's God's MO. That's His modus of operation. 
And it shouldn't surprise us when it literally the stitches start to fall apart all around us. Sometimes we can look at that and we can honestly say, I must have done something wrong. I'm not in the favor of God. I'm out of the will of God. And all these other things. And we don't know. God could be simply setting us up and actually bring us to a place where we're in the middle again so we can experience the power of God again. I said this morning, something I, I read a couple of, um, it must have been about 18 months ago. I read in this book. And, um, oh, Eva, you love this. It's Mark Sayers. It's Mark Sayers. Go, Mark Sayers. Yeah. If you want to read and listen to a great mind, Mark Sayers. <laughs> What's the answer? Always Mark Sayers. <laughs> After Jesus. Jesus, then Mark Sayers. But we was talking about this observation, um, and it's not just his observations by others, about, about um, Western Christianity. And the observation actually went along these lines, that we in the West have this unspoken belief. And unspoken, we dare not say it out front because like, we need to like, talk Christian and we need to look Christian. And we need, like, especially if you're a pastor, you, know, you need to look a certain, well, not like me. You're supposed to look differently to me. You know? um, but, but we were saying there's this unspoken belief um, with Christians. And it's this belief that God has done all his best work in the past and he can't do anything new today. Think about it. If you're in a mess today, relationships falling apart today, health's not working well today, Finance, finances aren't working, and then we talk about like some really like, like big stuff, the world's not working today, right? The world's not working. It's not working, right? Do we honestly believe that there is enough resurrection power to change that? Or do we honestly believe that God has already done his best work in the past? Because God wants to dismantle that unbelief. And he wants to show himself to be God in our midst. The resurrection of Jesus Christ lets us know that even death has been reversed. That's how powerful he is. Have you noticed the amount of times where the, the death is actually, the, the, there's, there's this familiar word that's used for death. It's like they've fallen asleep. They've fallen asleep. They've fallen asleep. They've fallen asleep. Have you ever like sort of just taken an afternoon nap? You're like gone home and like you just fell asleep on, on the lounge and, and, and like, like could be your wife just like calls out or something and you, you just wake up. It was almost like effortless. That's how effortless it is for God to wake us out of our sleep. That's how powerful he is. And if he has defeated death, which is the ultimate enemy, if he has reversed death in Jesus Christ, and everything that Jesus get, got, we get at the end of the age, do you not think that he is willing and he's powerful enough to actually rip up that problem in your life right now and to actually show you that right in the middle of a thing, he can actually display his glory, his righteous power, his resurrection power, and destroy that thing right in the middle in your life. It's time to have more encouragement. It's time to stir up your faith again. It's time to actually come before the Lord again. And if there has been an underlying unspoken unbelief, to come before the Lord and say, I'm sorry, I'm just human. I, I, I want to believe. Help me in my unbelief, Lord. And actually see God actually pour out his resurrection power right in the middle of a thing. Because that's how he works. That's how he works. That's how salvation history works. This has enormous pastoral implications for all of us. We're a charismatic church here. Um, 
If you don't know that, we are charismatic church. All right? That's important for you to know. Anything can happen at any time. So don't get too comfortable. I'm not going to even apologise for it. All right? There are plenty of churches around. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But as for us, we, our ears want to be open to the Spirit. I want to flow in the Spirit. All right? I want to see more freedom in the Spirit. All right? Just important for you to know, but, but one thing that actually comes with actually that charismatic Pentecostal bent is that so often you can almost have this, this impression that you need to like sort of just walk into this place or walk into a, a connect group and, and just have your little happy mask on. And it's almost like you're not allowed to be sad or you're not allowed to go through things. You're not allowed to lament. And that sometimes is the, the bit of a vulnerability of being a charismatic church. You know, maybe be like swinging from the chandeliers with tears in your eyes. I don't know if that's an appropriate picture. But because God works in the middle of a thing, because God works in the mess of a thing, and there's nothing more messy than Jesus actually being in the tomb for three days, because he works and his resurrection power is found in the middle of a thing, that has huge, enormous pastoral implications for us as the church. That if there are those around us, our brothers and sisters in Christ, and they are generally journeying through some really, really dark places, that is not a situation and a circumstance where you say, you know what, you just need to get over yourself. You need to like sort of just get up and get on with it. Um, there's actually the encouragement for us to come alongside our brothers and sisters in Christ and come to the cross of Jesus Christ and say, you know what, God has revealed himself as one who reveals and actually displays and actually shows his resurrection power right in the middle of a situation, right in the middle of a circumstance. So right now, you're dealing with depression right now. You know what, his power is here right now. How about we be honest with the Lord and allow his power to come and actually do something about this situation or you might be in a marriage that's falling apart and you're thinking you know what you're right in the middle of a thing how about we come alongside and okay let's actually be honest before God and allow his power to actually come and actually change and transform this or you might be in any situation any circumstance you might be facing some things you might have had some great dreams like my business is supposed to be like this or supposed to be like that or yeah you know what I'm saying to be honest before the Lord and believe that he can still move that he can still work there are incredible implications for us today that transcend what we're feeling, that transcend our emotions in that even though we are going through these, we understand and we recognise that God will work in the middle of a thing. In the middle of a thing. Hebrews 10 verse 36 to Hebrews 11. I read this this morning as well. Verse 35, the writer to the book of the book of Hebrews says this. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you've done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. And my righteous one will live by faith and I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. But we are not those who shrink back and are destroyed, but those who have faith and are saved. Now, faith is a confidence of what we hope for, the assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. I think that the encouragement that Scripture brings in this place and other places that says that we are not those who shrink back actually lets us know that by nature we will be at times want to shrink back. There are times when you and I will want to take a step back. 
I know many times I want to take a step back. There are a lot of times when I want to shrink back. And it's at those moments where we want to shrink back, that's where faith kicks in. Understanding what the Lord has done. Understanding that because of the literal, physical, historical, bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, God has revealed something to us. That the new age has started whilst the old age is currently passing away. And what Paul actually says and what Jesus actually says to his church, you need to understand and recognize that while this old world is passing away, the new age is coming to pass. Now you're going to have to grapple with the implications of that. You're going to have to really grapple with the implications of that. While things look like they are decaying around us, something new is being birthed in the midst of other things decaying. How are you going to live? How are you going to operate? How are you going to function? How is that going to reframe your thinking? In other words, how will you renew your mind in light of a new age which is surely coming to pass? In fact, it's already been born in the midst and in the world where there are authorities and there are powers with their little crowns and they are still shouting their demands, yet their world is coming to an end. Do you see how the resurrection is working? Paul is absolutely dumbfounded. We talk about the conversion of Paul. There was no conversion. There was no conversion. It was not a conversion. On that road to Damascus, Paul understands Israel's scriptures. He understands Israel's theology and he sees the literal bodily resurrection of Jesus, something that was promised to Israel at the end of the age, which means Jesus is a representation of Israel and God has actually fulfilled his promise in the middle instead of the end. And now you and I who follow Jesus Christ, we are supposed to walk out that reality in our lives. Could the band come up? I'm about to close up. I think it's been incredible some of the things that the Lord has been talking to us about over the last couple of months. We've been back today for two months, believe it or not. Two months back. The Lord spoke to us about a new form, new breath, and a new remnant when it comes to this season. The Lord spoke to us about brand new openings, that in this new season it's time for us to believe and actually see once again that in a world that's asking the question of what it means to be human, that we would actually see the birthing of true humanity, that eyes would be open their ears will be open. And as we drill down a little bit deeper and we're kind of saying, you know what, if the world's asking that question, what does it mean to be human? I need to understand what it means to be human. We went back to the book of Genesis. And we discovered that right from the beginning, there are three important roles that make up the tapestry of the Imago Dei. There's a priestly role. We are to give correct praise and glory to God. All glory to God in the highest and peace will actually break out on earth. We're supposed to have a prophetic role that we're to be truth tellers. And we are also to be kings and queens that we are on the march. And every time the kings don't march and when they stay home, things go wrong. And you look at it through church history. Every time the church does not march, things tend to go wrong. 
And then in light of that, we really felt, and I really felt, to talk about uncomfortable announcements. That God will come and actually come to you and come to me and come to our churches. And He will say with absolute clarity, that season has come to an end. That season is now dead. It's dead. But as that announcement is made, simultaneously there is another announcement beckoning us on to go on an unfamiliar journey. An unfamiliar journey. And as we go on these unfamiliar journeys, as we were speaking about just two weeks ago, when we go into territories that are unfamiliar, we encounter enemies that are unfamiliar. And on those journeys, we need to understand, we need to recognize that whatever journey the Lord takes us on, there are tables along the way for us to sit and to rest in Him. And today we need to understand and we need to recognize that it is very natural and it is very normal for us as followers of Jesus Christ to find ourselves in the thick of something, right in the middle of something that is not pleasant. It looks messy. It looks like it's falling apart. It looks like a complete disaster. But in those moments that seem the darkest of all, in those places where hope seems to be completely lost, that is where we find the resurrection power of Jesus Christ because He works in the middle of a thing. God's been speaking to us. And next week, we're going to flip into a new season. So as we sit in His presence, as we contemplate these things, I pray you're encouraged. I pray over the last two months there's been a newfound feistiness that's come up inside of you. I pray that as you've been opening Holy Scripture, the Holy Spirit's been speaking to you, that He's been undulling your ears, He's been softening your heart in preparation for what He wants you and I to get on with and to do, to actually see the evidence of this new age being manifest all over this place. Because this old age is coming to an end and God wants to see people liberated and flourishing under His Lordship, under His name. In Jesus' name. You okay with that? Let me pray for you and then we're going to worship. Thank you, Lord. Praise your holy name. Father, we thank you for another opportunity just to relearn Christianity 101. Then He rose. Then He rose. Father, I pray those three words that they would grip our hearts, that even in this moment that we would be grappling with the implications of that, that literal historical bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ where there is so much historical evidence to back it up. This is not just a pie in the sky faith, but there is just so much evidence to back it up that this is a reasonable faith. Father, this is the thing that we actually put our lives upon, that we actually put all of our eternity on this thing, the literal resurrection of Jesus Christ that we would grapple with what that means, that the eschaton is actually here, that you've begun something, that there is something that has begun in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that there is new creation that has burst onto the scene and we are invited to partner with you in pushing that out. Father, I pray that we would grapple with the implications of that. I pray for hope and encouragement in those moments where we find ourselves in the middle of a thing, Lord, in the middle of a thing where it seems dark, where it seems so, so cloudy, that we would have great hope. And we would have great encouragement and that we would see your mighty arm move and that we would see the resurrection power of Jesus Christ bear fruit right in the middle of a thing we pray. In Jesus' name.
Amen. Amen. How about we stand this worship? Um, if you'd like some prayer, come forward. There's a bunch of us who'd love to pray with you, but let's worship God and actually seal this word um, with worship and with praise.